0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: to the X-Man Podcast. I am your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the show, telling your friends. We just had a landmark episode, the last episode, 50 episodes. Can you believe it? And the show did very, very well. Uh, Big shout out to Tosin Abasi, who actually posted about the show on his Instagram, and our numbers went through the roof. So, that is a big deal. Thank you so much to him that was that was a great show. I got so much uh positive feedback from that show and I and it's exactly the type of show I like to do that covers the ground of you know the 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 typical music story and and the career retrospective, which the show is. but then we'll also kind of go down this lane for a little bit go down this lane talk about different things and that's that's how conversations are in the real world it's not just about telling a a particular story so it has a very organic feel and it was organic and i'm glad you guys could check that out uh i've been been such a crazy crazy time for 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 me personally uh things with bad wolves is really getting super busy just coming up this week i have uh i'm shooting a music video for a new single we're rehearsing every day we just started rehearsing last week uh we have the only the second ever battle show we're doing, uh, Jose Mangan from Sirius satellite radio, Sirius XM satellite radio, his birthday show this Saturday, uh, April 14th at the affliction space. Uh, if you want tickets to that, I think you actually just have to show up. They're not selling advanced tickets. And so it could get a little crazy over there. Um, But that is our only show before the the big touring starts, which starts next week. But then so that's going on. And then I have to go to Canada to do a two day breakneck press tour. Uh, And I'll tell you, these press tours are it's this is bugged out. It's a whole different world for me, guys. I'm used to like doing, you know, metal hammer and revolver. (laughs) They got us playing like morning radio morning radio shows and we're on TV. I don't know what's going on. This is apparently the zombie single went number 1 in Canada on iTunes as well. So, I'm I'm totally out of my element with this and it's it's so funny because I think there's kind of two ways you can you can look at look at it because for me I get kind of shook, you know, the nerves get up and it's I think there's kind of two ways you can look at it, right? You have the Kind of the idea of like, never admit weakness, right? Man, I got this, I'm fine. And then me, my tendency is to be like, completely uh, transparent about my shortcomings. And I don't know which which methodology is better. Because maybe if you kind of psych yourself out of being frightened or worried or anxious about a scenario, maybe that actually makes you a little more resolved. I don't know. Maybe being admitting it too much is um, somehow succumbing to that pressure. So I don't know. I'm still I'm still grappling with it. It doesn't. I just did a you know like a week long European tour or press tour, and then went to New York as well. And and I had nerves kind of the whole time. It never really went away because all this stuff is so different, you know. Um, and it's also it's a lot of more mainstream type of press, which I guess there's a bit more consequence you know if um you know we mess up a song or answer the question the wrong way there's a lot more eyeballs on you so you know you know it's i think any scenario where you get that little uh you know those butterflies that you know stuff that makes you a little scared those are probably the situations you should go towards because that's the stuff that kind of tests your metal and you kind of learn what you're what, what, what you're made of so you know, so d- despite my, my anxiety about doing all this, this different and new exciting stuff, um, I know ultimately I'm going to be the better for it. So, you know, we just trudge along with as much vigor and enthusiasm as I can muster. So I'm not going to talk your you guys ear off too much. We actually do not have a, a show sponsor this week. I thought we did. But we do not. Um, I actually did a couple more shows. So if you guys are interested in sponsoring the show, if you have a band, you want to get a song played, talk about your band, see what's going on, please hit me up on social media. We do have some slots available. Um, I also want to mention that I will be doing the first ever live X-Men show in a couple days. If you get a chance to check this out, uh, this show the day it comes out of the day after, you will get to hear that I will be doing a show, a live X-Man with Roy Mayorga, the drummer from Stone Sour, formerly of Soulfly. And that will be this Wednesday, April 11th at the Slide Bar in Fullerton, California. It is a free show, but keep in mind it is 21 and up and it is uh, nine o'clock. That's the time that we will be doing the X-Man show and there will also be some bands playing, uh, Ex Mortis, Killer Band, a bunch of other bands. So definitely come check that out. And I also want to give a shout out to this show's sponsor. You know it. You love it. Rockabilia.com. Your one-stop shop for all things band merch. So many of the this show's guests, you can find their band's merchandise at rockabilia.com. They have Half a million items, and these are officially licensed merchandise. Do not go and buy the bootleg shit. Go to Rockabilia, support the bands. They will very, very much appreciate it. And if you use our discount code, which is PC Jabberjaw, that's PC Jabberjaw, you can get 15% off. So please support our sponsor, rockabilia.com. And with that said, I would like to introduce our forthcoming guest, Craig Lo Cicero, former guitar player from Forbidden. He had, he did a stint with Death. He has been in bands like Man Made God and Spiral Arms. And he has a new band called Dress the Dead, who formerly had Peter Dolving ex singer from The Haunted. You know, he's just one, he's, I, I don't even know how to describe it. He's Kind of like me in a lot of ways, you know, he likes to run his mouth. (laughs) No, he's actually, he's a really great storyteller and his career arc reminds me of myself. And I think our attitudes, we, we talk about this in, in the interview, but I think our attitudes about creativity and bands and taking chances and just really, you know, embracing the spirit of, of this whole kind of creative life. I think uh, there's a lot of connections there. So I'm really glad he reached out to me about doing the show. And I think it's a really good one. So please check out my conversation with Craig Ocicero. But so the the SM7B, that's what all the radio stations use. Yeah. So I'm trying to be, pretend like I'm professional. You know, you're, yeah, we're all semi pros. <laughs> well, no, I just the way I look at it, in in a sense, when you're doing kind of a indie venture, you actually have to be, look more professional, as to, you know, to other people who are looking at you and say, oh, they 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 have their shit together, you know, right? Like, uh, cause I, you know, you listen to uh you know, who Bill Burr is he's a comedian. Oh yeah, it like, oh, good, great. Bill Burr does the most low budget podcast ever. You know, like, but his podcast is huge, so it doesn't really matter. You know, well, when you're clever like Bill Burr, like he's, he's just he's his own animal, dude. Yeah. It's kind of
2: weird what's happening to all of our comedians, and everybody's getting, they're all starting to ostracize themselves. And, you know. Oh, you mean all, all the controversies? Just so many just ass slapping, you know, just
1: like, come on. Where does that all end? Where does that really begin? Where does that end? I'm, I'm confused. Well, I, did, I had, um, so yes, I did a podcast with uh, I don't know if you heard of her. Uh, Name's Melicia Vox. She's the lead singer for Judas Priestess. Right. Female. not heard
2: of her yet. And
1: um, and the thing is, I was kind of I I did like one little segment in a intro about kind of like right after the Louis C K thing, just gave some some thoughts. Um, but I thought on a broad scale, I was like it was important that I speak to a woman, especially a woman within our world, and right. give because you know we're we're hearing. Politics. We're hearing acting. We're hearing comedy, but we haven't heard that much out of the music world outside of like Russell Simmons and, well, and could, some of that. I could get into that a little bit now because I have a little bit of force. Just just my little bit from my singer's yeah. point of view of it. Yeah, because we'll, we'll get to
2: that when you want to get there. Just
1: whatever you want. Let's go stream of consciousness. Yeah. You so do. well, <laughs> well, first off, welcome to the X Men program. That's an old school f- phrase, you know. They say television program, a radio program. I never understood it. I guess because they're programming, uh, what is going to be happening. But um, you know, me and you have known each other not for that long. I guess we more met online, right? You well, yeah. I got. I
2: don't know exactly how it began. I think I wrote you, uh, because I liked God Forbid and I like you know. There's they they had some of the elements that I liked because you know my years in Forbidden, like I I'm selective about. The, the, what was considered new metal, or no, it was, it was, not what, what wave was that? It wasn't considered, Our new, wave? your wave
1: wasn't new metal. It no, was more, we were after the, we were the reaction to new metal. Yeah, you were like a kind of a thrash hybrid. Well, it was, little bit well, death, well metal, there's a couple names for it. So there was probably the closer to what we were when we started, which was metalcore, which right. had kind of existed. And that was used to regard bands like Chromags and Earth Crisis and things like that, which were, in a sense, almost like crossover bands. So the the term kind of was reappropriated for this new wave of bands. But then, as the group of bands evolved, uh, I think the UK coined the term new wave of American heavy metal uh, because we had all kind of gone past the kind of hardcore scene vibe. Like, it, it, it became more of just, no, we're just playing metal. Well, you know what I thought. I just thought you were a cool fucking band. Oh, right
2: on. And I got to see you guys. I think it was uh, was it at one of those Dave Mustaine festivals or something like that. No, we never
1: did Gigantour.
2: No, so it was a festival. It was a it was whatever it was, it was. the first time I saw you. And then I yeah, I wrote you, and then you wrote me back. You said yeah, I really like that Green album. Yeah, well, the, which is like like the one that people don't, don't say they like the most. Don't but like, they, it.
1: but they do. It, it was that album was probably about four years before its time when it came out. You know? Well, no, the, so. I, did you read the article I wrote? And this article keeps coming up on this show for whatever reason. Uh, I wrote an article entitled talking about post-thrash groove metal. Like there was just this scene, this thing that existed in the 90s. And it was, you know, uh, propane and skin lab and machine head. And, uh, yeah, you they, know, and and, they, and, and and so you would have, and it seemed like there were thrash bands who even though they were doing one thing, they, like everyone kind of was doing stuff in that vein. So like you had the the one Testament record, the Ritual, and you had the one Overkill record. I'm forgetting the, the name. You of know, the, actually the Testament record that really kind of fit in that category was uh, Low. Low. No, you're right. Low.
2: Low. And Forbidden toured with them, and we yeah. we we did because uh, we were on Distortion at that time, and it was I call those the dark days of metal. You know, it was so fucking bleak. Dude. But you'd have these great shows in between these like dark low. Days might of metal be my shows. favorite record. Like it's
1: that's my probably so one badass. of my favorite
2: Testament albums. Yeah, but you
1: know. but anyway, but there was something there because I think the the skill level it took to be a thrash band of that era because just because the the bar was so high, right? With the Megadeths and the Slayers and and all that, and you know the Testaments, which are a little bit later. But just it's funny like going. Through through your guys' past and it's like, you guys were like the farm team for every. <laughs> big,
2: that is true. Big I, band. I I've made
1: that joke myself. Which well you know whether it's Nevermore, whether it's Testament, whether it's Slayer, uh, what you know obviously Rob Flynn helps right. help start the band and and it's this kind of well launching... he'll tell you he'll tell you he started the band. Well he, he well, did you hear him on on the show? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I didn't get to hear the whole thing,
2: but I, I heard there was a, there was a section I missed about that so. Well, I think Wikipedia might say he was
1: one of the the first. People. No, he was.
2: No, there's no doubt. Here's here's how it really worked, though. Uh, Rob and, and Jim Pittman, who I'd met in uh, through a mutual friend of ours, um, Clement, who was a Chinese guy. Uh, you know, very. You know, I mean, he was a very Americanized Chinese guy. Yeah. We all, dude. You know, like like that. But anyway, he sees me walking through uh, high school one day. And I've got merciful fate, corpse without a soul, EP in my hand, facing out with the naked girl on the cover, like, oh yeah, I'm I'm metal. I'm I'm the only one in this school who's metal. Because I was. There was like everyone else was still just kind of into priest and whatnot. Where were you living at this time? This is Fremont, California. This is where we were, this is where Rob and I met. Okay. This all comes into like one day. So he walks up to me, Clement. So, oh, dude, I, I know a guy who looks the same shit you like. He lives like right over the you know, away from me. He goes to another high school. He goes to American. I'm like, okay. Cause I really just moved to the Bay area that summer, uh, or spring beforehand. And I didn't really know anybody. I knew very few people that liked Metallica, you know, that liked Raven, that liked any of the shit I liked. I was like, I was a fucking rebel. So like he, I'm like, all right, well, yeah, cool. He's like, yeah, man, I'll talk to him and we'll hook it up. So the next day I go over to Rob's house and, uh, that was how I've, I originally met him. And he was playing guitar. And he was like, you know, I had just really learned how to play guitar. And he was he was kind of refined at that time. Like, he had a style. I was like, dude, you're like really good. He's like, yeah, you know. So I was just learning, dude. I wasn't even six months into it. And uh, so that was like kind of the beginning of our friendship. And then we started going to shows together. But there was no band. He had... Uh, thing he called Inquisitor with a drummer that he had, which was our drummer, which is Jim Pittman, who was Paul Bostaff's cousin. So there's a dude, this story is like fragmented all over the place. But basically, I wasn't good enough to play with him quite yet. I was just learning how to play. And uh, he was hemming and hawing over names, and Forbidden Evil was what the drummer had picked, was an old War Cry song. Forbidden Evil by this man War Cry was on one of the US, either US Metal or Metal Massacres, whatever. But he was kind of a Christian metalhead and I liked Venom and Merciful Fate. He thought I was hella hella evil, as we said. Hell that guy <laughs> Craig's hella evil, you know, he likes Venom. Evil so, in darkness. Yeah, I was I was considered the the dark you know, Rob didn't even like Slayer uh at first. When I got shown of mercy, he was like, no. Nah. It wasn't until haunting the chapel. He's like, That's cool, you know. Which is there's some validity to that, right? mostly mostly production based yeah production based songwriting but you know they were they were a little more iron maiden at that time but anyway to to fast forward uh he'd got a lineup and and they were you know they weren't doing anything they were sitting in a friend, my friend leroy's garage and he's all you should come over and hang out we found this amazing singer i'm like really he's he's like dude he's old enough to buy alcohol I'm like well i'll be right there you know so I I went, I don't even remember how I got there. Maybe Rob picked me up. I'm not sure. Maybe, I'm not sure. I didn't drive back then. So anyway, I see these guys playing in the garage and it's Russ Anderson. This big blonde, he had blonde hair at this point because he'd just come from LA. And it was like curly blonde hair, like permed, you know, big. I was like, oh, whoa, look at this fucking freak. And, uh, but then I watched them practice and I was like, he's doing Hellbent for Leather, dead on. He did Rathchild, Dead on, he did, uh, I think they did Am I Evil. Dead, I mean, just dead on. I was like, this guy is like a chameleon. I'm like, holy shit. So those guys went to all leave except for Russ and get beer and cigarettes. And I say, Russ, you mind if I play Leroy's guitar? He's like, yeah, go ahead and pick it up. And I played Balls to the Wall. And he just stops me, he's all, puts his hand on my shoulder, like, dude, you're pretty good. You're way better than Leroy. You should be in this band of all. Well, you tell Rob, and then if we are, we can move into my garage. Cause you know, I've got a band in my garage and my mom doesn't care.
1: He's all, oh, you just kill her. We're going to lose this garage. So it all started like that. Hold and on, then, can, I, can I kind of real quick? Yeah, yeah. Is, is Leroy a black dude? No, he was very Mexican. Okay. I just thought only black dudes had the name Leroy. No, no, Leroy, Men, Leroy Mendez. See, I don't like, you see, the thing is they, they talk about, they say they're taking our jobs, but they taking the black man's name.
2: Well, this was back in 1985, <laughs> and I was only—I was thinking might have been 14. I might have just turned 15.
1: What happened to the name Leroy? I feel like that was a name in the 80s, and then it just went away. Where are the Leroy's at? Uh, you know
2: what? they so are not making new Leroy's. They went the—they went through the way of, of like the Alberts, yeah. and like there's just like a lot of names that have kind of just like kind of dropped off the map. It's true. It's true. But Leroy was a good guy. He was a nice guy. Oh, shout out to Leroy Porson Leroy Mendez, thank you for letting me come in and steal your job, because then after that we. We're looking for a name, and then uh, we recycled a bunch of shitty names. And they never played a show, a party, or anything. I don't think they'd done anything. And then once I got in the band, I was the one who talked. Like, I was the youngest one, but I was getting us gigs. Mm -hmm. Rob will tell you this. Like, I was the one working us Ruthie's in. I was the one working us, like, everything. And uh, anyway, so, like, after about a month of recycling names, Forbidden Evil comes up again, and we're like, well, fuck it. Let's just try that. So that was really the beginning of Forbidden Evil. That's a good name, though. Oh, it was a great name. It was it was just as good as Forbidden, but when we got signed by Combat years later, it was like, do you really want to have the stigma, or do you want to just be more ambiguous? And in essence, it was better to be ambiguous, you know. But there was like, why are you changing? It's like because it just gives us a bigger audience. And you know, years later, we had a chance to have a huge audience. You know, we were the next one up. Mm-hmm. We were the next in line. You know, right? Us and Death Angel were touring together that entire tour. They ended up getting the uh, the bus accident, right? Yeah, the RV. But well, we RV? were with them all together for that entire run, and then they got the Clash of the Titans gig, and you know we were like right, right behind them. But when they got in that accident, then Allison
1: Chains got thrust into that spot. Yeah, well, that was a changing of of the guard. It's kind of interesting how that um, that moment has kind of come up. Mm-hmm. very a lot in 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 recent episodes like a guy you know eric german the entertainment lawyer
2: yeah i've heard of him i've, I've never
1: met but him. anyway he was you know we were talking about kind of the 90s and and just how things kind of turn out right like so it's there's this one thing right called heavy metal or thrash metal and the world kind of turns on its on its head and there's just a shift there's a definitive shift um and one of the main things why i love having gentlemen like yourself on the show is because you had a front row seat to yeah what, to, we to were what, there to, to what was going on but before we actually get to that what is was there some what was there in the water about huh. the bay area that there was so much talent and so much you know just potent individuals and collectively where it seemed like everyone was playing in every everyone else's band everyone like did you know the Exodus guys? Did you know the Metallica guys? or was it more like generations? Yeah,
2: like- no, we, we, uh, we'd met them all over the years. And well, I mean, first of all, it was really uh, there's a lot of closeness, and even with the competition, we were all like we were, we were friendly, supportive. I, we were supportive where a lot of scenes cut each other off at the feet or the neck, you know like we were trying trying to be very supportive. Violence and Forbidden probably had the biggest rivalry of all of them. in what way? We just we were rivals, dude. Once Rob left
1: see, Oh, because he left. It's not like,
2: just because he left. Not just because he left, but it was because how the that band treated us once he joined up because they'd asked me a month beforehand to join Violence. And I said, Ah, I was just a kid. Like I'm two years younger than Rob. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm like, I like my band. The singers really good. Your singers they didn't even have Sean at the time. And they had some something. So Perry and Jerry came to my house and recruited me. And uh, and I, I just politely turned him down and I said no, but it was like a whole bunch of like underhanded kid things that happened. Rob wasn't telling us when he was going to practice. them. I mean, he acted like he had a broken arm for like a month, like shit like that. So when it all went down, I didn't say anything about that for years to, to hardly anybody, them coming to my house. I was like, I held it in, I was like, ugh. And then it was just like a lot of like tension because the way it was handled and I was a kid, and I said something absolutely idiotic when it went down that I will never want to repeat again. I, me and Rob have talked about it. Yeah. But I was a kid, you know. I was an angry kid, and you know, he forgot that I was younger than him. So for a few years there, there was a lot of tension. But Rob and I had come back to be friends again in the meantime, and then we went to like, you know, I, I, I it's really easy to like in back in the day when Rob had a really big tough exterior. Um. He was easier to like rough, you know, ruffle his feathers and say something that accidentally was insulting to him. He's matured like as all of us so much and is so much more sensitive to sensitivity, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And like he understands. Like so we've 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 come full circle where we're really close again. And it's fucking awesome because we were close as kids. We his dad took us to the water slides (laughs) and, you know, like we did stuff, you know. He was like, I really looked up to him. I think the first time Rob and I kind of really kind of understood each other, other again is when he, uh, I did an interview with Joel McIver for the Machine Head book. You know, Joel McIver from England?
1: Yeah, that's, Pretty, that sounds he's familiar. He's done a
2: lot of like, you know, authorized I've, I've definitely
1: seen the name. I don't think Authorized,
2: don't unauthorized, but I think this one was unauthorized. But, you know, he asked me, would you be interested in doing an interview talking about Machine Head? And I had to really think about that. Like, I don't really want to piss Rob off again. Like, I mean, you know, we're seeing... We well,
1: doesn't be, that depend on what you're going to say? If you're it, gonna no, say it does.
2: Something. But if you say even the truth could be misconstrued, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I explained it. I said it to the best of my ability in the book. And uh, Rob came up to me at... Uh, what show is that? Uh, when they played a Death Clock. And uh, he walked right up to me. He's, said, like, I read that book. Oh, the what book? He's said, like, oh, the book, the Machine Head book. I'm like, oh. I'm all, and I just look at him I'm like, so you get it now? He's all, like, yeah, dude, I get it. Because it just
1: kind of explained like the whole kid aspect and not knowing how to react and whatnot. So, well, of course, I mean, we we all make make mistakes, and I think also when it's in the early years, before you have quote unquote made it or before you've gotten to a certain place, everyone's clawing over scraps, right? right. So it feels like, you know, that that kind of competition or the jealousy, or that you know, it's very high school. Because you're probably not we were that in f- high school, exactly. yeah, or, or
2: just getting out, yeah, exactly.
1: Like, like that's who kids are. You're all confusion and ego and and uh, you know hormones. hormones, Exactly. You're you're not the people you're going to be. And the truth is, you have to make a lot of mistakes before you eventually kind of get figure out who you're going to be for the rest of your life. So let me circle back to what your original question was of
2: like why? Because I, I I think uh, the reason why there's so many so many great. Things that popped out of it is is that competition that everyone had, but you got to look at the front of the line, right? If you have, you know, Metallica, Dave Mustaine, who I really thinks deserves, even though you know people don't want it. But at a certain it, point, weren't they an LA band? Yeah, they were. But once they moved up to the Bay, you know, and Cliff Burton, who was in who was from Castor Valley, which is right next to where I live in Hayward, and these are all down to earth you know Cliff was super down to earth Kirk was super down to earth but Gary Holt yeah who I think is like you know the the real originator of you know the real thrash metal thing and, and as well as Tom Hunting being the originator of the thrash metal beat and like the Exodus started to like they kind of influenced Metallica and Exodus influenced Slayer and Exodus influenced you know Testament Exodus influenced a Death Angel and Forbidden you know and violence. I mean, I think Exodus because they were the high water mark for us. As I look at your Maker's Mark bottle over there, they were the high. That's not mine. That's yeah, not, that comes with the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I ain't judging. But um, <laughs> but anyway, so you know, I mean, I think that uh, because of that, with there was immediately, you know, like a a bar that was set, and you know, they helped bands like Possessed kind of come up, and you know, we were just you know, Forbidden Evil was just another one of those bands, man, and
1: but we had Russ, right? Yeah. Well, Russ, I, I mean, I have to say this definitively, especially like, I, th- I don't think I even appreciated him to too, like the last record you guys you did. Yeah, wave, made people. Of just like, wow, that dude can fucking sing. And and I would say that, that, you know, even to this day, I'll probably say, yeah, that's probably the reason why an exodus didn't get to the levels of the, the Testaments and the Metallicas and things like that. Because it was more of a kind of, you know, screechy yell than like that, like that accessibility factor is definitely something that... That is,
2: uh, not to cut you off, but that is exactly what it was. And he, uh, let's put it this way. I just did this violence thing this weekend, right? Yeah, so actually, can you you explain that for people Well, I'll get to it in a second, but let me just go backwards because we think what you're talking about is relevant. And uh, the sky was the limit, like once... You know, violence got signed. We were the next one up. Debbie had managed both of us. Debbie managed, Debbie Bono managed us first. And then once they found out that she was managing us, they they went straight over to her and said, you gotta manage us too. Because there was so much competition. And then so they had Debbie managing them and Joey Houston, who still manages machine head to this yep. day. So this competition that with us just couldn't couldn't go away. And you know, they got a deal with mechanics. And then a few months later, we negotiated our deal with combat. but. Co- not only Combat, but Capital wanted to sign us. Roadrunner wanted to sign us. Uh, the Megaforce wanted to sign us. Like everybody wanted to sign us, and you know we went with Combat because they offered the most money. Like duh, you know whatever it was it whatever. But what what happened was as soon as our album came out, what we didn't even know was going to happen. You about the
1: first record, Forbidden for the evil. evil. Yeah,
2: we didn't even know what was going to happen. All right, as soon as that album came out, there was full page ads on every fucking magazine every back page of every hit parader circus you know you name it whatever there was in those days metal maniacs or whatever we were the back page of every freaking magazine and you know we weren't ready for it mentally I mean we were just not ready you know we we were just like, what we're just you know not even most staff you know I mean nobody was ready in the band we're like dude this is insane and it just really it was snowballed and people were so blown away by Russ that we were immediately put, being put into a different category than Bay Area thrash, which is what we wanted, but we didn't really know how to digest that. We were never ready, you know. So all the bands is that is that because of just the age, you think? the age, and we were just immature. Dude. We partied way too hard. I mean, yeah. we just you know, we were just. Mm. Well, I mean, that's it's. Listen, it's a
1: cliche. <laughs> Tim Calvert
2: helped helped us. He helped us when we when we got Tim. We were a little more mature, but even he, you know, we were all just wow. But But, what's the
1: cliche? Well, no, it's the it's the behind the music cliche. We we separated ourselves immediately and uh, and separated separated from the rest of
2: the Bay Area scene. Not that we wanted to, but other people had put us in a different category because of Russ. Oh, you—you felt that, but you had this singer who could actually sing, and that's why I stuck with it when they offered me the other gig, right? Because I was like, this guy's like Rob Halford, you know, like yeah. you know, before anyone was thinking anything else. Yeah, it was—it was just this big, oh wow, you know, we were on the fast track, and then when we put out *Twisted in Form*, we really were on the fast track, and. uh we were selling a lot of freaking records, man, and no one ever could account for all of them. It was combat days. And if you ask Gary from Exodus, he's all too. Like, they didn't pay us. You know, Sony's holding a lot of shit still to this well, day. Well, then how do you
1: know you're selling records? You're well, we knew sound back then.
2: Scans. Yeah, we knew back then. We were getting our sound scans. and But uh, it was, you know, when I talk about this now, it's just so bizarre because our manager's like, just trust the process and they'll pay us. And, you know, she's all... I mean. Debbie, bless her heart, was was so good at keeping us grounded and making sure our heads didn't explode that she was so worried about it that at one point she fucking turned down. Uh, Rick Rubin wanted to sign us after Forbidden Evil. He approached her and said, "I just want to sign that. I'll buy that contract outright. I want to sign this band right now." And she didn't tell us until after Twisted in the Form was out. Yeah, I, 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 don't, him, I don't think I could forgive that. Well, I do. I give, I forgive her because I love Debbie and. But for a while there, you know, I mean, when it happened, you know, Bo Staff was probably more mad than anybody. And and when we fired her, which was like, how could you ever fire W. Bono? That was the forefront of the reasons. And Paul was really the forefront of the, and you know, and we, we all forgave her years later. It Didn't it? it really didn't matter because what what would have happened? The scene was still changing, you know. Uh, the runge was going to happen, you know. That affected the thrash metal scene more than any other scene.
1: And, well, no, I know. And it, glam, it, 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 I guess. Glam, glam is the one that took really took the hit. Well, because they were selling more units. Well, I not guess. only that, their their imagery, and the uh, the intentions and kind of lack of artistic credibility became obvious when you contrasted it to something that had a bit more depth, and it just there, there was a culture shift. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and and I think you know you look in general, which is part of the reason why. You fast forward twenty years, and for the most part, most of the thrash bands, a lot of the thrash bands are bigger now than they were twenty years ago. They had to wait it out. Yeah, I mean, but 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 that, but that speaks to ultimately, thankfully, I think this is something you know, and I've said this before. I'll say it again about the metal fan, and how the metal fan adheres to quality above all. Yeah, they do right because it they is it, it. it is a scene of nerds. It is a scene of yeah. also who are musicians. Nerds and, in denim jackets. Well, yeah, just 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 people who pay attention to the fucking details. Yeah. So ultimately the even though there were trends and things came and they went and you know, the yin and the yang eventually I think if you're making something quality and you're there there luckily and it's the other thing too about the culture of heavy metal is it does get passed down, right? Slayer gets passed down from the 30-year-old to the 20-year-old, these Exodus. Or the
2: 50-year-old to the 20-year-old. Exactly.
1: Or, or but I'm saying, but you'll go to an Exodus show or a creator show now and you look in that front row and it's a bunch of 20-year-old kids. It's yeah. not just the the old guys. And that and that speaks to, you know, young people like heavy music, understanding that there, there was something special about this era. And you can't recreate it. I mean, no. can, I mean, there are new great thrash bands. That, you know, not see that. Yeah, the Power
2: Trip's cool. They, you know, they get a lot of that stuff. I think uh, another thing the kids, uh, whether they they know it's the reason or not, is because it ain't fake. Um, you know, we recorded, you know, pretty much live almost, and there was not a lot of fixings. You know, yeah. we're not Pro Tools. Like we're not moving drums around. Like that's just what it was. You know, like you get, and when you did move some around. Back in my day, you got a razor blade out, and it wasn't just used to chop the other stuff. You know, yeah. like they used to cut the tape, and yeah, you know, cool. it's like it's a whole different thing. So kids sense when they're listening to a record that done over the you know high wire and no net that that's something that makes those records really special because those records weren't perfect and fuck perfect. I wouldn't even make a perfect record now. I wouldn't even you know. Telling Rob when we did the you know, dress, he produced the Dress the dead stuff, and I told him right from the get, I'm like, let's not move fucking drums around, let's let the guitars scratch and move and be, you know, I just want to keep it. And he, and to his credit, when he did these mixes, he did that for me, and I like it better, you know, me personally. I don't care what anyone else thinks at that point.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, it is a, uh, I think that is an artistic choice because from the co- quote unquote commercial side of things. They will tell you that younger fans are their ears have been acclimated to hearing perfect records, and that when they hear something that's not perfect, they perceive it as perhaps being inferior. Ah, you know, and that, yet the proof is in the resurgence of the old. Yeah, no, I I, I hear the that proof th- is in that. Yeah, and I, I think that they, think that's happened uh in the metal world in a lot of ways i think it's there's actually a great resurgence of more naturalistic production in the hardcore scene which i think is Mm -hmm. is awesome Um, that's yeah like why would you want to do that any other way well i'll i'll kind of die on that hill in in that i kind of like both you know there's nothing to me great than a pristine recording but i also love something where it's just Hey, this is how the band sounds in a room. Well, you can make a
2: pristine recording if you plan it out correctly. You do enough pre-production and everyone's really ready to play. That is like everyone in the room. You know? You can make it with just two guitars, one on either side and your bass in the middle and your drums, and have that guts there. It's all a personal choice. And I've just I've just got no fear of yeah. any of that anymore. Yeah. I'm kinda over it. Well,
1: but it's also it it speaks to the process of how you made records and you played shows for however many years you understand oh no we had to to get it right you had to get it right mm-hmm. and that ethic builds within you and you say hey i'd rather earn it rather than cheating it You know? well yeah it's, it's exactly like that it's like taking a test or something you know
2: are you going to really study for your test or are you going to be able to look at the computer to figure it out you know what I'm saying? It's like it's just a mentality. Yeah. And you know, it's like it's like giving your kids a participation ribbon, or are they really gonna win something? Yeah. If you know you only have one fucking chance, you know, do your best. It might not be perfect, but it's your best. That's where I come from. So
1: I I hear that. So you said there was this expectation of that we were next and things were going well. But you guys weren't handling it well. You were, there was partying and what, what was the, how did this end up into the element where you guys ended up taking a break?
2: Okay. So the year is 1992. We had, it just turned 92. Paul was still in the band. RCA, we just got off combat. We, we really negotiated ourselves off because we knew that we were up next and they were not, they were not going to give us any larger deal. We were, there's we were, you're locked in this deal. So they just kind of got exasperated with us and let us go because we begged them to for about six months. And RCA was going to sign us to a really big record deal. Uh at the time it was three hundred thousand dollars, which is pretty pretty big for Thrash Metal Band. Yeah. That would have been like as big as anybody but Metallica or Megadeth at that time. You know, I don't even know if a Slayer had one like that big. Maybe Anthrax got a big one later. But anyway, so we were on our way to do that. And uh, then Paul gets the offer to join Slayer. Right, This all happened in the course of like a week or two. So when he joined Slayer, they're like, oh, well, how's this going to be? And then Nirvana came out with Nevermind. At all the same freaking time, like the same week. And then they went and saw us and Paul was in the audience and he wasn't totally sold on our new drummer, Steve Jacobs, who was our drummer all the way... You know, through distortion and Green era, and he, you know, he made the mistake, which he, you know, apologized for saying, "I don't know if he's the right drummer to the girl that was going to sign us." In her ear while we're playing, so she got scared. Nirvana came. We were like sitting in a spot where, like, we had this huge deal on the table. It's like now you got nothing. So that started our nothing phase of just demoing. And then I got the Death tour. I did. De- I played with Death for a little while. I didn't know that. I did. They, they asked me to stay. That's where my friendship with Gene Hoagland really cultivated, and all the guys. You know, Stevie and, and Chuck. They love. We loved each other. We toured on Individual Thought Patterns in Europe, and I was passing out forbidden demos, and then they're the ones that got assigned. signed. And, and Chuck says, "Dude, you know, do you want to finish the tour and then write a record together? I'd love to write with you." Because so we talked about it, and I just said, "Nah, dude, I, I got to see this thing through." You know, I. I it was my band or his band,
1: well, what what was that like playing with Def?
2: Oh, it was great and to this day. If you ask those guys, it was the fastest they ever played. We because my right hand at that time was just absolutely on fire, so we ended up doing thrashier versions of everything. And uh, we got along great. We just drank coffee and smoked fucking everything there was to smoke from you know one end of the continent to the other, <laughs> and uh, it was a really great experience. We, we really. Really bonded. I became great friends with, I mean, brothers with Gene ever since. Like, you know, I'm going to go see Gene after I see you tonight. I'm going to go hang out with him and his wife. And his wife and my wife were friends. And it, was a, it was a wonderful time, man. And, and it was also something that those
1: guys will tell you. It was the one time that everybody in death got along. Who was on bass at the time? Steve DiGiorgio. Oh, so you were just basically playing with, like, the all-stars of all-stars, legends. That's what they thought of the whole they, I was in that little. But I had to do Andy
2: LaRoque, right? So... I wasn't going to do Andy LaRoque. I was like, man, Because I, I went in, I was recording a demo. I didn't even have a chance to really learn the songs, right? This is crazy. So Chuck says, don't worry about it, bro. He's all, I'll bring the band out to you. So he did. And he brought everyone out to Oakland. And we practiced in Oakland. And he's like, what do you know? I'm like, nothing. He's like, all right, sit down. So he show me a riff. I'd learn it once. He's all, like, play that four times. That's how their arrangements go. So I was like, is it going to be this easy? Because their riffs were actually much easier to play than Forbidden Riffs. Forbidden Riffs are the hardest fucking thing. Dude, they're so stupid. Yeah. And so, but he was teaching me these things. So I just got to play this four times. So it was great. So then by the time I learned it, we're out the door. He's all just improv the solos. Don't worry about it. So that's what I kind of did. And I never really got my feet fully entrenched in the moment and sat down and work shedded on the, you know, his leads and his leads and his leads. It's just, I got to it. I'm do surprised my own it was thing. that. Kind of free flowing and loose. That's what he that wanted day. out of me though, because he respected me. Dude. Is there should, that
1: stuff on YouTube or anything?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of it. You should look up the show we did. I believe it was in Florence, Italy, 1993. I got to check and it that Florence, out. And Florence, Italy is one of the craziest, the heaviest things ever. There's, well, there's other shows like England, Bradford, I think, but that was our first night of the tour. Florence, Italy summed it up. It was fucking insane. And the crowd just went berserk. You know, I mean, it was. It was a great lineup that if I if I would have followed through on and I wasn't such a loyal guy, you know, I, I would have done at least a run with them. But you know, everybody well, in Forbidden was looking at me with their arms crossed.
1: Like nobody do it. Well the thing is it's listening, to this I see the parallels between your career and my career, where we had these uh bands that had a pretty big impact within our our scene, but yet we were also kind of a witness to this much bigger thing that was happening around us right we had this band over here ended up changing the world in this way and this band and this person lamb of god in your case lamb of god or kill switch or you go down you down the list but but um so you and i are kind of in this situation where like i said i'm i'm like the forest gump of my scene where like i might have not have done everything but i was kind of there for everything. Yeah. And yeah. you were kind of there for a lot of the stuff that happened within your and be, era. And believe me, I've seen these similarities.
2: And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sit down and talk to you. You yeah. know, because I think we do have something in common that we've never really got to cultivate. Uh, there is something to that. And and maybe on a uh, subliminal level that hit me more than it did on the you know on the front forefront of it. But since you're saying it,
1: yeah. It's interesting. Well the thing is like sure, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's a lot of this stuff I know but I don't really know and so I'm hearing it from you. So it's just I'm I'm having that revelation in the moment. I think that's actually absolutely uh fascinating. So nevermind comes out, boss staff gives the note to the NR person this deal Dude, which, which I'm not is, uh, when when I say these things and, and the, you know a video
2: uh a radio interview or anything could be dissected into pieces and, and taken out of context. Yeah. I'm just going to say right now that I'm great friends with Paul. I'm you know any and any of these other guys like we're We've all got way beyond this. So there's no resentment for me. And that's one of the reasons why I think I've survived in this business and not become jaded, not
1: aged like a lot of other peers of mine. You do, I would say, guys, you know, you can't see how he looks on this. He looks fantastic, right? Uh, Alice, congratulations. Well, look look at her. That's
2: why I look good. (laughs) Anyone that knows me knows that we've been together for almost, you know, we're going up on 30 years. Oh my God. Yeah, since we were kids, you know, so. There's, there's a lot of things and
1: you know congratulations a, by the way thank
2: you she's she's a big reason why i'm not jaded too and uh and i think that's part of the key guys if you can if you can get beyond those things that you know may have re- really salted the wound in the moment and you can get beyond and around that stuff and get to a point where you're like much more you know uh i don't want to say analytical but pragmatic is that a good word for it i mean just You just got to, you got to kind of just take it with all a grain of salt and, and learn from it and use it as opposed to
1: being pissed about it. Well, you you used a very, very important word there that I I associate with a lot of metal dudes, which is jaded. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, or, or another way you could say is just general bitterness is that the, because even the way you described it, right? You said we're, we were next. Right. And that what that speaks to, and I've experienced this, is the idea of feeling that not only uh, was the natural tra- trajectory headed towards one way, but we earn this, we deserve this. We're this is our path, and it's the expectation, right? It's like this is our path. I've everything I've done has prepared me for this. And then life sometimes says, no, nah, man, that's not going to happen right you get humbled yeah. right like it's a it's a humbling experience and the truth is how you deal with that as an individual right because we often look at bands as this collective experience but ultimately all you're left with is your personhood right your individuality like you you take that for in your person especially when you're young and you're all ego and you're all kind of you you you, you know you're not you don't know how to, how to kind of deal with that stuff yet but I, I've noticed that in a lot of people that they end up bitter. And sometimes, guess what? You wait three or four years, the bitterness goes away and they kind of, they accept it and they 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 find solace and whatever and maybe they get back to it. But that's yeah. something, like I would say, if anyone listens to this show, do whatever you can to not be that person.
2: Yeah, channel channel your, uh, whatever pitfall or shortcoming that may have happened in your career and use it as not a, uh, you know, don't look at it like it's it's any kind of revenge. Look at it like you're just you're just. Sometimes you get knocked out of the starting blocks, and you just got to get in the starting blocks again. You know, yeah. I mean, there was a point. I I think listening to this and, and listening to myself talk about it, there was probably a point at, uh, before Distortion came out in between all this stuff where I probably felt like
1: I ha- I had some sort of sense of entitlement. By the way, Distortion, not on Spotify, all right? I'm going to say that right yeah, now. Yeah, what the fuck's up with that? We need to find some... Actually, and I also have a... In a second, leave you a comment about Green, but continue. We'll get there. But but anyway, I went through that, and then you know, I went and did the death tour,
2: and then I passed out the demos that got assigned for Distortion. We ended up on Gun, which, which was BMG in, in Germany, and that was actually in Europe. We did well. We went and did Europe with Gorefest of all bands. Ooh. Who was, I have a really, one of my, I have this, there's a sick-ass Gorefest song I love. Yeah, well, I'm, I forget the name of the album. It was one with Woman in Black or Lady in Black in it or whatever. Um, but anyway, but they were interesting to tour with because they had a total attitude towards us. Like, who are you fucking old metal guys? You were like at 25, you know? Like, we're all, what? You know, at least I was. I was like, fuck you, dude. 24, 24, 25 on that tour. And... uh but anyway, but we ended up being friends with them later. They all apologized to us one by one as the years as they come around. Like, sorry, we were dicks. You know, it's all good. But uh, we did that, and then toured uh, the U.S. with Testament. I'm gonna do the fastest version of this. And then uh, I was really fucking inspired, and I was really pissed off, but inspired. I was like, I was, I had this cool concoction of like, and I just really discovered Radiohead, which was like The Benz was like my favorite album. And just all mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. fucking hit me hard, dude. And I started writing green and I, I went on my own and I just, I said, I'm just going to be like really expressive. I want this to be like, you know, like just a really simplified version of forbidden. And I just, I just have this feeling we just throw these two, like I said, there's two live tracks. We did that album like that. On Distortion, we did, you know, two on each side, super perfect. I was like, fuck that. We're going to just be raw. And we put that album out. It was probably our most pissed off record. And it was so fucking out ahead of the curve that the label's like, we don't know what to do with this, but we want to put you on this Manowar tour. And I said, what? Yeah, right. I go, that's it for me. I told the guys, well, if it's really serious about Manowar, not to be a dick, and look, looking back at it, I might have been a little hair trigger. But I said, uh, I'm out. I'm going to start something new. I feel like I've got something new in me. Yeah, and that's when I started Man Made God, and the other guys, uh, Steve and uh, Macho followed me into that, and I got Rue that was in you know uh, Machine Head. Oh yeah. Later, and then uh, we had Mike Sullivan, who was a, a fantastic crazy man singer, heroin addict. That was a problem.
1: So by the way, I I have not done my homework on Man Made God. My apologies. So what what kind of vibe was that?
2: Okay, well when it started, it was just what I kind of described. Uh, green as I just wanted to do something extreme. I, I took my it was I, in that vein, sort of. It was really, really experimental. I, I used to tell people, I was like, finger painting was shit. I just wanted to make sure there was something so heavy. Like Gene Hoagland to this day, he called me the other day, he left me, wrote me a message, and then sent me a video. He was in his car cranking the man made God first demo. He's like, dude, this still stands because it was a heavy, heavy hit. It was tuned down to drop A. On a Les Paul when no one else was doing that. It was before Corn and, you know what I mean? It was like, well, Corn had just come out, but it wasn't like that. It was like nothing. It was like, and I wasn't playing solos. It was just really avant garde, and our singer was out there. So we did that, and then we kind of lost our singer to the drugs, and there's just nothing we could do. And then the guy walked in our room, Pan, um, and he was like a super rock star waiting to happen. And we're like, whoa, you know, this makes the riff sound different. And within a you know, a couple months of having this guy pan in the band, we'd recorded again. Eric Kretz from Stuntable Pilots recorded us. And um, we had label interests like coming out of every we're like, what do we do with this? And then we recorded again. And then Rick Rubin found us. That's what Rick Rubin refound me after all these years. And this is the first conversation I had with Rick. I go, hey, I was, you know, I was in Forbidden He's like, I heard that. He's like, I wanted to sign your band. But he flew us down to LA with all our gear. He's like, we'll "Have them bring all their gear." We flew with all our gear, dude. This is this is the year two thousand. You know they have like vans and stuff and trucks you could put gear on. But Rick wanted to like I don't know if he wanted us there so fast, but we ended up doing a live showcase for him. And Eric showed up and he's like, "What are you doing here? Is this this whole like super?" There was so much. That band had so much going into it, and so many people like betting all their horses on it. We had. Every management company wanted us. I was living in LA, you know, Hollywood for about a year, and I had every fucking management company courting me and taking me out and wanting to meet me. and like it was nuts, dude. It was gonna be big. I feel like there's a but coming. Well, the but was is that uh, the, the record took too long. Uh, Rick was fighting about sequencing for like six months because we wanted, he wanted to sequence it his way, and I knew it wasn't the right way. Uh, that got mastered eight different times. Um, and then by the time it came out, Island had that big buyout and, and the music that just, I don't know if you remember this in 2003, like Island and Columbia and all that stuff had changed. Yeah. Over. I
1: remember who, who did, I, f- I forget what the, it was Lior
2: Cohn was doing it when we were there, when we got signed, it was Leor Cohn. And then it was by the time our album was supposed to come out it was LA Reid, And they, so they said, guys, can we just push back your album? a few more months and we're like, no, we've been waiting long enough, like kids. Like, are you sure you want to do that? Well, yeah, you know, and we made the mistake of not letting an album set up properly and they went out there and they had a release date for it and we had, uh, there's like 200,000 stickers that were passed around and with release dates on it that weren't there. And we, and when our album came out, the second the second release date nobody knew it was even out they were there the first release date and it only sold i think it was five thousand copies the first week which if you do that now think about that yeah five thousand is good for a first season it's nice you no, you're doing all right yeah you're no, all right no, back no. back then it's like if you're not selling you know forty you you're not really you know we figured, well, we especially are, on a major label that's but funny. we had major radio play we had it like all over the country uh
1: how many how many how many records did that band do i don't even know anymore I mean, don't, I don't know any, I, like, I don't know anymore dude I don't I mean how many of that came out oh well they pressed thirty thousand right off the bat no, no 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 how like how many like albums like did you put out I, I, oh, I don't no, mean okay, okay, pressed. okay one there's one record one because
2: uh what happened was our singer was resisting every opportunity that came our way he because he loved tool and he didn't want to have our songs in video games he didn't want to have our songs in movies he didn't want to have our songs.
1: Like in, in
0: any he was he was
2: show. like doing the artist he is, thing. He's a total
1: yeah, the the tortured artist, like yeah. fucking goddamn it. Not to not to shit on that, but there's also a kind of thing of, you know, some people are in the position to do that, and some people are not in the position. Well, he, his to favorite do that. guy was Maynard, yeah. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses All in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. So anyway, so... Well, you can do that once you have a... Hit. the yeah, video is I, on MTV. that's what I kept telling him.
2: That's what I kept telling him. So, you know, where I'm... I'm going to accept my culpability here. I'm going to say what I've told people every time it says... It comes to this point when you talk about it. Where I made my mistake, Doc, was that I didn't assert myself and
1: say, look, you're just a fucking kid. Shut the fuck up and listen. Well, that's what I was, I was going to say about... I was like, so you're really going to argue with Rick Rubin about... Well, not oh. just Rick. Rick was wrong about some things too. I think Rick's right about most things, right?
2: He's right about most things, and I'm—I still love Rick, dude. And he—and he would have kept me going. Like he wanted me and Pan to go. We were the key members. His name was Pan. We were the key members. He said anything if you guys do together, he's I want it. But anything you guys do separately, I don't want it. And then I, you know, I started uh, Spiral Arms when that all ended, and because I, I wanted. Okay, Tim Narducci from Systematic wanted to join Man Made God. He loved it. He wanted to be in Man Made God. Was that so the singer? So bad, yes. When, <laughs> when I sent my first demo of what we were doing t- to Rick, he's like, love the music, don't get the voice. It's good, it's just not great. When you and Pan get back together, let me know. So then I was officially dropped, you know? And I didn't have the heart to tell Tim. And to this day, if he hears this interview, it's probably the first he's heard it. Because I just, you know, he was my friend. I, mean, I was like, "Yeah, it was fucking rough." You know, I was like, "All right, we're starting over. Let's call it something else." And that's when we started Spiral Arms. And that went on far too fucking long to no avail. You know, I should have fucking just, just kind, kind of
1: did. beating your head against the wall. Dude, we,
2: yeah, we, but we got things. We got we got sent to Europe. Then you know we got you know record deals. We got. Multiple things
1: that so, happen. So let me ask you this question: During this whole time, where it seems like you're kind of jumping from one lily pad to the, to yeah. the next, and I know there's, there's and I'm doing
2: whatever I want to do, yeah. and people are like, "You should just be doing forbidden again. You should just be doing." That was the finger wag, like you yeah. can't see that, but they're wagging. Yeah, you know.
1: Well, well, I'm what, what I'm what I'm getting at is, so clearly there was like a perseverance in you, a determination that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it my way. This doesn't work out, boom, I'm on to the next thing. I'm, you know, you are You seem to be, from the way you tell it, you're a very focused and driven person. And loyal to a fault. Yes. But, so were you like working a day job during this time or was, you were finding a way to kinda get one advance and allow that to li- make you live uh, till uh, this thing, or were you? Yeah, there's some stuff in between there, yeah. Yeah, yeah we did some stuff. Oh, we nice. okay, we're gonna keep it on the DL? All right. No,
2: no, no, we're good, uh, no, you know. I mean, I had uh, different things I did. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's different. You know, I don't usually talk about any of that business stuff, but there's well, different you, you things. Don't, I you did. don't have to. There's no one pressure. of the cool, one of the coolest things I did for a while, uh, that was kind of a random uh, thing, was I I was a, a game tester at New. Uh, what was it? Uh, Crystal Dynamics, and they had the that the Legacy of Kane games. This dude is living the dream over here. It was great. <laughs> it was great, and it was back in the day when I. Uh, I used to do other things for money too. That's so a cool game, man. The, the, you just got to... the, the 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 people that worked there used to come see me, you know. So like, you know, he was like, well, was
1: I was a video game tester and a sperm donor.
2: Yeah, sperm, all right. Well, no, <laughs> it, she wouldn't be okay with that, but you no, know, uh, but you know, things I survived, dude. I'm I'm a survivor, you know. And, yeah, um, but you were, but
1: but through that, you had a, a focus, and it was music, and it was always music. And you, well, I'd say some you know, another thing where you and I are similar. Is that you didn't have that fear about trying something new?
2: No, I went for it. Like I said, when when the Benz came out, I didn't want to be anything like Radiohead. I wasn't after that at all. But I loved their bravery. I thought, I have something in me where I know that I can fucking you know cut my own rug. You know, I knew there was something there, and that's what I gotta do. I gotta do that, and people respected that in our scene. The, these peers that I had that would have like scoffed at it were like Craig, does his own thing like you know, all these guys these Gary Holtz and these guys they they respected me for doing that. Even Rob dude loved the Man Made God record. You no, know, I gotta get.
1: Is that on Spotify?
2: That is on Spotify. Right, That's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on all that. I go it's check on it American. Out. You know. Okay. So you can download that. And it was just, it was a strong strong record. But it was it was like more like rock and roll, but really heavy and dark and. Kind of brooding a little bit because mm-hmm. our singer was kind of a tortured soul as you can kind of tell and uh so yeah so that's that's really what uh my my, my time in spiral arms wasn't just doing just spiral arms because in 2008 was the first time i got or seven was the first time i got offers to do a reunion stuff with forbidden that i took seriously because people would make offers every year and it was the first time that i thought yeah Fuck it, you know, I'll give it a shot one time because we had Contos in the band at that time. Co- Chris, so, Chris Contos, who Chris was Contos, the original yeah. drummer of Machine Head. For right, the, the, the but he was, a, he was a drummer in a gazillion bands. Gazillion, yeah. gazillion. I mean, there's no limit on how many band, uh, fucking at least 50 I could think of. Do we
1: of. know where Chris Contos is? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. We know. He's, he's riding BMX bikes these days. Okay. He's out of the music business, which is good because he's jaded. Yeah, but that dude he's changed the game he's for great. drummers. Yeah, he's fucking had some of the fastest hands. But he was in Spiral Arms. Spiral Arms went from having Steve Jacobs. This is the drummer order. Went from having Steve Jacobs, who was in Forbidden, to Paul Bostaff, who took over for Steve when his shoulder was hurt, and Paul wasn't in Slayer. Paul was really fucking great to play with, but he's not a rock player anymore. He's a metal player these days. Then we had uh, Steve Back. Then Steve's shoulder failed on him. Then we had Eric Kratz, who was in Stone Temple Pilots. And then we got Chris Contos once Eric uh, left, our bass player left. So Eric's like, he, he went back to SDP, which is a good move for him. And um, then we had Contos for a few years, and those were good years. They were building up to something. And then I got the offer to do forbidden stuff, and then everyone got really, really resentful. It got really fucking toxic. And the, but I kept sticking with it and making sure that we almost broke up, but we didn't. And then we got. Did, did, you know. what, did that really come about, come about
1: from the Chuck Billy?
2: Uh, no, that all thing. happened before. I was actually making the Man Made God record when they did that first Thrash of the Titans. And I couldn't leave to be there. Me and Rob were the two guys out of all of us that could not be there at that show. And people really were pissed off about it. They're why weren't you there? Well, I was making a record for fifteen hundred dollars a day, and it was my turn to record guitar tracks, so I couldn't leave. Yeah, and Rob was on a press tour in Europe, so we had good excuses, but no one liked it because that's was when Death Angel got back together, right? That's was when they them. got back together. Forbidden did play. I gave permission to the, for them to play without me because that's not something you would just usually do. But there was a lot of little resentments, and uh, for that too and I was in a different mode, you know. But I remember that day was pretty clear cuz Alice was visiting me that day in the studio and I'd finished my guitar tracks by about 6:30 or 7 that night with the, of the show itself and I was like, "Fuck, I should be there, man." And You weren't
1: that, like in the area.
2: No, I was down and I was in Burbank recording at Ocean. Okay, yeah. So you couldn't make it in time. Yeah. No, there's well, you don't just make it in time to play forbidden stuff.
1: We even play or just even just to go or just support there's
2: no way I could just go if I'm there that was my band if it was also forbidden did play you just didn't play with them they played with other guys they played oh, Glenn okay. who played on the first album it. yeah and a bunch of other guys and I felt like I should have been there uh, Steve Smythe played some of my parts uh and uh Tim Calvert played
1: some of his parts so there's three guitar players Will I ever tell you about my Tim Calvert story yeah go ahead so the first time I ever saw nevermore and they played this this kind of super cheesy club in, in in New Jersey called Obsessions. And it was like... I, I've played
2: Obsessions. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there was... <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a big crowd. It was maybe like 200 people, whatever, 150 people, whatever. But I was just obsessed with Nevermore. And I got... Right, and at the time I didn't realize like Jeff was like the main guy in the band, but we, me and my brother, just stood in front of Tim Calvert, and he started, and I was like, "Oh, what's up with that amp?" And he was showing us the the Line Six original Flex Tone. That
2: actually sounded good. I had it sounded a, than
1: Man May God too. It sounded really good, and he, God forbid, we ended up getting those. We started showing us. He was like showing us. He was literally like giving us guitar lessons before they were going on stage. It was like, oh yeah, showing us some like arpeggios. His was, sweeping technique was the best I've ever seen. He was so cool and so good. So shout out to Tim Calvert. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what he's up to, but as a young metalhead, you uh, you made a, a wonderful impression on me, so thank you. Yeah, Tim's great. He's a good, Out of all the guitar players I ever played with,
2: uh, he is the most, uh, 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 well, he's the most innovative. Like yeah. his, his arpeggios were unique. Under themselves, And part of the reason he got that technique is because he got an accident before I ever met him where he had a broken neck, and he was in a halo vest, and he wasn't looking. So he was inventing ways to fucking make it easy for him to fucking... And then he'd just do these things all the way up and down the neck. You know, it's like... Because we had Glenn, Glenn Alvarez who played shredding leads and solos, but those were more, you know, like Yngwie or Like This or Like That. Tim
1: was like Tim. Yeah, well, I mean... The, Tim was like well, he, Tim. He was on... It was Dreaming Neon Black, mm-hmm. and there's was, some there's some old forbidden riffs on that album, a couple here and there that that made. Yeah, it. He, I mean, I'm a huge fan of that record. But he, was he on? I think uh, that was the, the only one he did with them. Oh, he didn't do the previous record. Okay, uh, Politics of Ecstasy. Yeah, uh, I don't the, think
2: he did. I think Dreaming Neon Black was the one he was on. Yeah. And, uh, well, it
1: was I, it was actually a really cool dynamic at that time, just because they would him and Jeff would trade off, and there was a definitive style, like you know, it was, it was no, a really it was amazing dude. You know. know
2: Honestly, uh, that's a part of the story that you know that when forbidden when I did say the after the never or the 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 man of war thing came up and I said that's it, I tried to get away from all of them, not to be a dick, but just honestly I said I want to start brand new, and uh, Matt and Steve were like no dude we're going with you no matter what you're not fucking you know we, we want to do what you want to do, and I agreed to it so there was a feeling by the other two guys like we left them hanging. Yeah. But I told them, I was like, I just wanted to get away from all of you, but they won't, you know, like, I'm just, I'll give it a shot with these guys. And in the end, they weren't there for everything, but Steve was there for a lot. I mean, Steve stuck stuck with it. Matt kind of retired, but there was resentment. Tim had resentment and rusted about that. They felt like we were leaving them. And I wish I would have kind of stuck with my, original plan so there'd be less resentment and more like he's just doing his new thing and it it made Tim feel like why what's wrong with me? And nothing was wrong with Tim. Tim just is a more stoic and and you know, his musical he's more to half timed and like it was just where he was going with it. I was like it just he he wasn't he wasn't ready to make any huge leap into trying experimental shit. He was amazing at what he did. So I wasn't is gonna he email.
1: still playing uh I don't know
2: I don't know I know he's a pilot or he was a pilot for United for a while there oh shit yeah, I haven't talked to Tim in a while we were we were emailing a bit and then uh he just kind of stopped but
1: maybe, you know, he's, there's, maybe, maybe there's maybe no real
2: will there you know I mean that's that's all over maybe
1: he's growing pumpkins with uh
2: Jim Martin who's right down <laughs> the street from my house you yeah know? jim martin growing those those are those are like so, yo, over he, in Castro valley he's growing those pumpkins you know what you need there. to do it's hooked me up, get Jim Martin, on the podcast, son. I can talk to Jim for you. Yo, He'd be an interesting interview, dude. God, please, he's very anti. I'll uh, take the trip. I'll 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 get up to the. I'll come up, come up, come up there. Yeah, come on up. If you if you if you work an interview with him, man, and you come up and stay with me for a night or something, awesome. Yeah, killer. Jim's Jim's a good dude. Awesome. I just saw Billy Gould today. Oh, Billy was uh, hanging out at the Dunlap uh, booth, and he was all excited about the show we did, the the violent show. He he lives down in San Diego now, but. That's right. Yeah, and if
1: you're that. an ignoramus listening to this, we're talking about the gentleman from the, the wonderful and legendary uh, Faith No More, of course. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Billy Gould is the bass player who actually wrote the songs. Yeah. Billy's like really the writer of the music in Faith No More in, in, through all eras. So,
1: you know, since um, Billy Gould and Jamar are not here, how ultimately (laughs) how ultimately they're always here bro how ultimately my heart how ultimately did did the uh forbidden reunion come about and and transpire well uh
2: i got offers and they're for every year to be something and then uh what happened was (laughs) this is this is this is actually interesting they offered uh spiral arms to play the grass pop festival
1: that's nice
2: in 2007 and I was like, fucking, finally, you know, we're getting some breaks. You know, people were digging the music, and I'm like, fuck, yeah, okay, it's going to happen, you know. And um, we go to Europe, and within, you know, 15 minutes of me landing, it was like, okay, so next year, we want to bring Forbidden out here. And then I remember, like, thinking, okay, whatever. And then we get to the festival the next morning, and I'm sitting there eating my breakfast, and Yap, who runs nuclear blast, sits down next to me. He's all, so? He's all... We really want to bring Forbidden back next year. I'm like, okay. And I just, I'm sitting there eating my food and then I realize what's going on. Spiral Arms is only here so they can chip at me to bring back. And then that caused more resentment because, you know, the guys in the band, there's two particular guys that were non supportive and everybody else was supportive. And at that time, that was the beginning of like a big rift. And, um, but we played the show. But Chris was really pissed about it too, and you know I just said I gotta I gotta at least explore the options and see if we can do it. And I talked to both Staff, and he was gonna do it with us. He wasn't in Slayer yet. He wasn't in Testament yet. He was out of both for the time, and um, and we we're gonna like we'll do the full original Forbidden Evil lineup. Oh no, actually we originally wanted Tim Calvert, but Tim was available or not available. He'd been a pilot. So like, all right, well, I guess we'll do the Forbidden Evil lineup instead. And Bruce Dickinson
1: <laughs> manages to fly the plane and show up for the gig. All right, Tim. Right. You well, could have flew the band to the to the grass pot. I think he has a little more money than <laughs> Tim does, but uh, but that
2: would have been you know. But anyway, so uh, I just had to explore the option. Let's give it a shot. And the and the and the, that first time you come back, dude, the offers are ridiculous. Yeah. You
1: know. I'm still waiting for those God forbid offers. I mean, it ain't it ain't nothing. It, yeah, I'm, we were getting you know we we gross. A lot of money. And okay. then we came back with a decent Yo, yo by the way, can I, can I borrow like $20? I heard, <laughs> I heard you did very well on the reunion. Not that well. Uh, but no, if but you really I, if need it. If, if
2: I could hold like 20 man, it'd be nice. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but anyway, so we, uh, you know, actually, what's a really interesting thing about that is when we finally did the tour. Um, well, okay, let's back it up. So we, we we set up to do this tour, and we were going to do our first gigs. And then as soon as Testament caught wind that Paul was going to be doing our shit, they're like, well, we need a drummer. So boom, they snagged him. So he started working on uh, what y'all was a Deformation of Damnation and said, guys, I'm, I, I'm too busy. I can't do this anymore. So what the fuck are we going to do? So I called up Gene. And Gene's favorite thrash metal band is forbidden. you know We really are his favorite of all those Bay Area thrash bands. So he's like, yeah, brother. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's a pretty good gene. I know him well. Spent m- much time on our couch. Um, but anyway, so we we agreed to do that, and we did the first shows at Slims with Death Angel. Two sold out shows, probably the most packed Slims had ever been up to that point. It was a big deal, and we agreed to. So, so
1: those were the re- the first reunion. First
2: shows. reunion shows were in the Bay Area. Like there, it was like February, the end of February, two thousand eight then we had that tour set up so gene couldn't do the tour and we got mark hernandez who i still play drums with but we played in forbidden from that point on mark was in violence mark was in uh torque with phil and violence with phil and uh he was the sit-in drummer on the first european tour we did and that went screamingly well and i thought well i might as well think about writing music with him um so by the time I came home, the guys in Spiral Arms were so upset because they saw an interviewer. I said I might think about writing music. This really happened, and they were so mad at me. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? Like I I can't. Like, what's what's the what's so pressing for Spiral Arms right now? Why why is everyone mad at me? I was out there pumping our band. I was pimping us every day, like just like I did with Forbidden with Death, you know. And it caused a huge rift, and we almost completely took a shit because of it. But I started writing Omega
1: Wave. Can, can, right from that point on. Can I can I cut you off real quick because just to kind of talk about that that point about how being in a band is uh fairly similar to being in a relationship, right? Where sometimes you have a committed relationship, sometimes you have an open relationship, right? What well, you know, I'm speaking in in band terms of course. Um I I've, I've never been that guy who's like I don't want you playing with this or I don't want like to me I'm like there's enough to go around there is enough an, to go around. and and to, and when you get in that mode of trying to kind of smother squat, yeah or just you know like limit the people you play with freedom to just it's the biggest take... mistake you can make, doc. Yeah, because you're on
2: it you're on what you're saying here and I, I'm just gonna just say the one thing I have learned is that ruling with an iron fist when there's only a penny rolling around on the ground is the fucking dumbest thing you can do. Cuz then you end up alienating yourself from the rest of whoever you're playing with like I'm a firm believer that everyone deserves everything together until they decide to leave, you know? Like if you got to go, then that's a different set of rules. But if you're going to stay, we're in this together. Because you got to drive here, you got to fly here, you whatever you got to do, it's all about the team effort. But yeah, if you're trying to rule with an iron fist,
1: you all you do, you can't grow fucking flowers in the shade. Yeah, Well, Mm -hmm. I don't even mean like the iron fist, because that presumes that someone technically has control, right? So even even if you're like the band leader, but then other people who are maybe not the band leader just get upset when you say, hey, I'm going to do this, like, that they don't understand that, no, you can do more than one thing. Yeah, Things can exist. That's what I believe. And I think, listen, sometimes it's not possible, right? If you're in, like, for example, I played with Rob Trujillo in that band Mass Mental, Mm -hmm. right? He's also in Metallica, but when he had spare time, he would jam with his other band. Whenever he has some free time, we get a jam. We do some. Rob gigs. likes to jam. Yeah, but 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 what I'm saying is, Jason Newstead left Metallica because they were in the frame of mind in the late '90s or whatever the early 2000s, whatever that was. That no, we don't want you to do other things. No, they they and they evolved right out of that yeah. mentality. Yeah, well, yeah, it
2: fell flat on their face in front of everybody. You know we all watched it in the movie you know you can't
1: control like that it's wait, but think about that there was a hell of a lot more than a penny on the ground then and it still alienated jason yeah yeah you know? yeah
2: well i i only say that because sometimes there's only a penny on the ground in my situation oh no right?
1: it's, I, but, I, but it's but but it's the yeah. same thing in, in like my other band vegas nerve where everyone is in other bands and i always understand i'm like i i would never say hey you need to do this like you need to like not go work a job or you need to, you need to cancel rehearsal with your other band because we no. it's like people have things they have, you know, the, the band is just a piece of real estate in someone's life. It's, it is not your life. I agree. You know, totally especially agree. when, like I said, there's only a penny on the fucking ground. But anyway, I,
2: use, I use that example because, you know, in the media that, industry, that does there's not a lot of money uh, all the time. Well, that, you, that, that
1: that's a factor.
2: Yeah. 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 So it's essentially, uh, you know, that band was, uh, it kept going, and we did a lot of records, and, and Tim learned how to produce and learned how to record stuff, and you know, a lot of good came out of it. Like, there was a lot of good things came out of it, but ultimately, dude, it's like nothing I've ever done I felt like was a real waste of time. But when I look back at, like, how we could have actually... I mean, our last show before we broke up, we drew 500 people in a Bay Area where nobody goes to a local band show. And then you know he decided he wanted to just stop it and start a new band again. I was like, "All right, so I guess I got to do the same." You know, that was 2016, and that's where I, I spawned the idea for Dress the Dead. You know, that's where it all kind of started. Yeah, today. let's
1: let's actually let's talk about Dress the Dead. So, around the time I guess that came about is actually so Peter Dolving from The Haunted was the original singer and he was the one that was talking about it and that's what kind of got on my radar yeah. cuz he was in LA at the time and I you know I've known uh Peter forever and I know he was like kind of going back and forth and working on stuff stuff so, you guys so how did that whole situation come about
2: Well Peter and I have been friends I met him on the tour bus when they were out in in the Bay Area maybe 2007 uh and Contos brought me and I got to meet him and I I I was a fan of Peter's Rants.
0: Like, I already love the haunted. The Facebook
1: rants.
2: All of it. With <laughs> MySpace, even. Uh, oh, I don't know if I ever followed him on MySpace. Just whatever it was, Peter. If, when the, when his stuff got picked up by Blabbermouth, I like people that can say exactly how they feel, uninhibited, and get a get you know piss people off with saying
1: the like, you know. I mean, he was just. You can say he's very left. Well with, well, with him, though, you can also just read his lyrics. I mean, that's is a guy, to me, that... He wears on his sleeve. The main thing about, you know, The Haunted is probably the thrash band that influenced, God forbid, the most. Like, if yeah. you listen to this album, Determination, it's literally like a haunted fucking tribute record. And my favorite thing about them when they came out was his vocals. And I don't know if you remember, there was a, I guess it was a haunted demo because they they released the song Undead on this uh like earache comp compilation and there were two other songs and to this day I cannot find these motherfucking songs but I was like this is the most pissed off thrash metal singer I've ever heard I agree like I, that's what I thought but he's got a beauty to him too Yeah right? and that because he has that that pitch because he's actually a singer who learned how to scream he's a crooner Yeah
2: he sings in a, in a in the crooning tone and uh but you know, like I've been admiring Peter for years, and, and he and the guys in in the Haunted would play Forbidden. You know, he'd heard it too. But he, when he's doing Mary Beats Jane, like Forbidden was still out there. You know, I think we were doing Distortion around the time, and he was touring with Machine Head and all that stuff. So like, there was like this kind of six degrees a, of separation. The, between the tour us. was
1: Machine Head,
2: Meshuga, Mary Beats Jane. Right, right. But I've been a fan, and he was a fan. And he thought, he, so he made the comment to me a bunch of times he, that he used to, like, kind of ride the guys because, you know, those little guys in The Haunted all fuck with each other. He has more of an American sense of humor than they do. So I, I know he said to them, he said, like, why don't you guys write stuff more like, you know, what you play in that Forbidden stuff? Like, which is just him fucking with them. But that bothered them. And then there's their, and then we're all friends. Like, I'm friends with all the haunted guys. Like, I love all those dudes. And to this day, I, I, I love those dudes. And I, but I got Peter... We'd, we'd had a meeting before Spiral Arms had ended, when we sat down, we met in San Jose, we'd hang out, had coffee, and I said, dude, one day we should write some music together. And he's like, I agree, let's just fucking talk about it. So then we had another meeting before Spiral Arms was broken up, and he came into town, um, and I played him a bunch of material, and we sat, and this is when he saw you, mm-hmm. at, like around the same time. And I didn't really have a band name yet. I, I hadn't come, It came to me in a dream, for real. The name popped up in my head in a dream, and I popped out of bed and I told my wife, I'm like, ah, no one's ever put these three words together. You know, it was like one of those moments. So, you know, he said, yeah, I I think I'm into giving this a shot. And, you know, as it progressed and I came up with the name, he's like, whoa, that's a heavy name. He's like, but it's cool, it's ambiguous. You know, he got really excited, but even when he was getting excited, in the rear view mirror, I look back at it, and he's like, well, let's slow this down. Let's slow this down, because he had been through so much. And the, he had so you hard. mean the progress of the band or the, the band was like, the idea, as soon as the name was released and everybody freaked out that we were playing together, he's like, holy shit, this is getting too big. Like, as soon as the, uh, and I had to talk him down, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay, Peter. We're gonna fill this up with music. I've got the songs, you just do your part, you write your stuff. It's gonna be the per. I'm writing this for you. I wrote everything for Peter, knowing how he sings knowing what he likes to go to, knowing that I, w- I could challenge him. So we did it, and we did our first grouping of... Uh, rob, actually, Rob wanted to come to rehearsal before Peter had even laid a track. Rob Flynn. Flynn. Yeah. Rob Flynn, sorry, people. rob Rub-ub-ub-ub. And he wanted to come to rehearsal. He's like, you know, what's this new band? And I'm like, come on out, you know, check out the music, see what you think. You know, Peter Dolby's thing He's like, whoa, Peter? He's like, man, that's... You're putting a lot of eggs in that basket, you know. You don't know what you're gonna get. I'm like, because he likes Peter, but he also knows he's a wild card, so, you know. And but I said, yeah, dude, I, Peter's my favorite singer. I think it's gonna be fucking amazing. And he came and checked out the music. He's like, dude, your music is fucking awesome. He's like, it, it leaves a lot of room for vocals. I think that's what I wrote it for. He's all, I can't wait to hear what he does. So as we're getting demos, Rob's like, uh, yeah, these are cool. Peter's kind of all over the map on this, but yeah, it'll be cool. And then the last demo, he's like, I think we got something. And then Peter came in, and we recorded the music before he got there. And uh, then he had like a, about a month to work with it, and then Peter showed up. It was right before we played the two Death Angel shows. They offered us two Christmas shows. Hmm. Our first two shows were two sold out Death
1: Angel shows. We had recorded with Peter before we did the two shows, and Rob already came, showed up to the shows with our mixes. Didn't you put, I can't remember, did you have a song out? or? Did, I, I remember I watched the video from the show I watched some we did we put videos. 1969 up. Yes, yeah, so you had one song out.
2: Uh it actually came out right after the show. Right after. Okay. And but we played the shows. Well, first of all, when Rob showed up, we recorded with Peter and it was just me and Rob and Peter and the engineer and nobody else was in there. It was everything I thought. It was everything I wanted it to be. And Rob was just like, "My god, this is fucking amazing." He's like, "This is great, dude." He's uh like, Peter's like he's totally here. He's coherent. He's Feels good, it was, he was on top of the world. Peter was so creative and it was like, he was smiling and laughing and just like almost crying. I mean, we were almost all crying with happiness. It was like the ultimate, it was the ultimate high high. Ultimate art being formed. Yeah, Three songs, only one of them got released and we put that 1969 song out and people were just like, oh my God, this is fucking awesome. I look back at it now, I'm like, you know, I mean, people were just completely shocked uh, with the message that he, he broadcast in that song. Here's a Swedish guy, as far as they're concerned, saying this social commentary that just fucking nailed it, right? It, he really did. You should go back and listen to it again. So it was really fucking cool, and we did the two shows. They were sold out, fucking sold shit tons of merch. Everyone f- flipped out, like, dude, this band's amazing. This is going to be great. It was one of those moments. And then he goes home, and goes back to Sweden or actually Denmark at the time and it's cold and you know he starts feeling that feeling that rises over him again and I'm talking to him and like okay dude well you know here's these plans you know we got this label that was once this and let's see what's up with that and he's just like all right yeah okay This, this sounds good man I'll be there for the he's asking me like if we could uh Go play a venue once a week so we could sharpen our stuff. Oh like, yeah, I got a place we could use this rehearsal studio. We could just put a keg in there. This is the last conversation we had before that infamous day where he dropped a, a Facebook message saying he's done. He was like really excited, and I just think, and you know, he's never said it as much. We've talked, we've we've written back and forth, but I just think he just got scared over the prospect of having expectations all over again and not being an American and not being right here and all that But flying back and forth and all whatever it entails with it. it was. He just wasn't ready for it, but he gave us his all. He gave us the fucking beautiful melodies and the music that he you know, my music, his melodies. I mean, it was a great combination. It was great. It was everything I wanted it to be, Doc. And he just pulled out. He just but he pulled out in the strangest way where he said, you know, he told people he, he would have uh if he would have had more morphine he would have killed himself last night because it's just all this not just music, but it's everything. His kids, not being able to see his kids and all this stuff that I really understand now. And in retrospect, I'm thankful that he did this early yeah. instead of late.
1: Well, I'd definitely love to get he's one of my guys I been you shouldn't get on the. Well, we have we've been talking about it, but I think he's just in a place right now where he's kind of doesn't want to talk about music. Yeah, just or whatever. You know, I think he picks his time because he's one of those guys. You get me and him in a room, you could record any conversation between the two of us, and it's a fucking quote unquote podcast because we're just. yeah that's just the way we are. We're you know same thing. Like we should share- I, I, It's
2: probably another reason why I like you because I that's how I am with Peter too. We whatever we talked about, it just kept going and going and going and. We ended up getting that relationship, you know, via really uh, social network. You know what I mean? It started, we met, but getting to know each other and seeing how each other kind of operate and the things we said. And I said things to get a rise. He said things to get a rise, kind of aligned on certain things, whatever. So, yeah, I, I look back at that time and I'm just so glad that we had it with him. And, you know, it, 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 like leaving us standing at the altar, but yet, good thing you didn't get married because if you got married, this all would have come up later, and it'd be much, much worse.
1: Yeah. So now it's act. I guess now it's actually public. So you guys just released. Actually, is it, is it public? Yeah. With the new, it is public. With the with the. We new already singer. played our
2: first show. We played the the violence. Uh, yes. Okay. Killing on command. We we played the show. So tell us about the the new singer in the band. Well, Kayla Dixon, literally dropped out of the sky. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I let's just start it like this. About a year ago, I saw a show and I I think it was The Skull and St. Vitus and this band opened up and I walked in the door. As I was walking in the door, people were like, dude, you got to see this band. You got to see this band. The singer on stage is amazing. This chick singer, she's amazing. As I'm walking, I'm not even in the venue all the way. I'm like, okay, I'll go check it out. You know, whatever. So I turn around the corner and there she is up there being super intense Staring people, like, one by one into the eyeballs and not leaving their, like, just, like, looking at them and singing, like, with this voice that was a... I just was like, this voice is massive.
1: What was the name of her band? That
2: her, was gonna... Okay. It was called Witch Mountain, and it's still... She's in Witch Mountain to this day. Yeah. But I was... Kind of the way I tell the story is, like, this band. Because I had Peter Dolving, So I wasn't thinking about, like, starting a band with this girl or any... I never even wanted a girl singer. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for that so, but, I, but I remember taking a drink of my water and just like walking away and going I first I took a picture and I posted it I said this band's amazing you know this girl's gonna be a star and then I just, just in my head I'm like this girl's gonna be a star but probably not doing this type of music this is a cool band she's gonna be in but she's probably got something else down the road I don't, you don't know she's like you know Tina Turner like a metal Tina Turner of power I mean it's just crazy and um so anyway, then fucking Peter Bales. I don't think much about this. Her, I didn't she didn't come up in my head. And then a mutual friend of ours writes me and says, uh, "Hey, would you be interested in if I sent Kayla Dixon your some of your stuff?" I said, "Just send her the 1969. If she's interested, she's interested." I didn't hear anything for months, dude. I was looking at singers for months, like getting tapes, getting or tapes, getting recordings, getting there's no tapes. Getting whatever I got and going, ooh, I just was, you know, it's like I was Icarus and I just flew to the sun and I got my fucking wings burned by Peter Dolving being so great. And the guys in the band felt the same. Like, man, we weren't that familiar with everything
1: he did, but man, he sure was good. You were right. There was right? never any moment like, nah, we're just going to wrap it up.
2: Not for me. I think maybe Mark has put a timeline on what he think, thinks he could do, my drummer, Mark Hernandez. And he's just, he's like, dude, you know, it's like, you just got to put it, but he ended up sticking it out, and we all ended up almost getting a guy who was really good, but he was a guy and he was, you know, he's a friend. And we were trying to shape him, or I was trying to like get him acclimated for what I thought he should be. And I started to feel guilty about it. I was like, that's not right, man. We need to find someone that just steps right in. That's a snap of a finger. And, uh, and in that time, man, like. We had just about settled, and then I get a text. Hi, this is Kayla Dixon. I mean, we're just like, within the next two days, we probably would have settled and started doing something with this guy. Hi, this is Kayla Dixon from Witch Mountain. I've been checking out 1969 for the last few months. I've been a little nervous about getting a hold of you, but I really want to have an audition. I probably still got that text on my phone. And I was like, what the fuck? So she had this for months in her mind, but she was like a huge Dolphin fan as well. And I think it intimidated her filling those shoes. But within two, I sent her the music. I said, sure. And I didn't tell the guys in the band, but I sent her some music and I showed up to rehearsal that night. I told them the whole story I told you, except I excluded the part of what band it was and that it was a girl and that she is a black girl and that she's 22. I didn't say any, I excluded all that to the end and they're like, what? You know, they're like, no way, dude. They all got goosebumps. They're all what is the weirdness? Because we're all such cool, like open minded dudes. Everyone in my band is like very cool, very like, we're open, dude. We're 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 a bunch of nice guys, you know. So they were like, that's amazing. Holy shit. I'm all, but we don't have her yet. Let's see what she sings like. Let's see what she does. Two days later, she sent us songs, and they sounded the potential was like ridiculous. I was like, oh my God. She's singing Peter's songs like Peter had written that So she didn't her.
1: change the... It was lyrics, melodies, till the she same. She sent me
2: stuff she wrote too, which is great. But I was just blown away by like, wow. Like 1969 coming out of her mouth sounded a whole lot more poignant and to no fault of Peter's. But as far as America's concerned, those lyrics don't mean as much coming out of a white Swede dude yeah, as they do out of this black girl with this empowerment. That, that just it makes it seem. I mean, she got the lyrics; she got it. She, she, you know. when Rob asked her when he, because she did resing it, and we are going to release it. Peter asked me, "Please release those songs so they don't go away." So he'll always be a part of this band on that those first couple tunes, yeah. you know.
1: And he he gave you the blessing to. Have yeah, her yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to see
2: his portion of everything. I will make sure Peter, if these songs are a hit, he'll get his piece. That's awesome. Forever and ever, Amen. You know, but there's, who knows what a hit is anymore? But uh, but the point is, is, like, things that he said to the metal crowd, you know, they're like, well, that was a little, you know, sensitive sounding. And they, they don't want to hear the dude say it. But when she says it, man. And then the things she's written since she's been in the band have been incredible. And her wisdom is far beyond her years, dude. She, You know, like, she seems like she's in her mid-30s to 40, you know, the way she acts. She's 22. It's a weird it's weird yeah <laughs> i didn't see this coming doc i did not see this coming and it's been it took a little getting used to and um uh, for everybody for for us or families you know it's like you're going to be oh you have a girl singer now it's all different i've never been with in a band with a girl you know but she's just so independent her boyfriend lives in san francisco she lives in portland so she's down there every couple weeks anyway so like it's even better because she's not here waiting all the time she's up there then we can come down and rehearse everything about it, it's been I mean, really, dude? I look back at my history, this might be the most coolest, weirdest thing I've ever ever been a part of because it, it saved everything. Right on. You know? She's pretty special.
1: Awesome. Well, you know, here's what we're going to do once we're done with this. We're going to play a song. Look, what, what song do you think we should play? Well, the only one you can play
2: right now is the one that's on uh, YouTube. And that's There Goes the Sun because that's all we've released. Okay. Right. I got more that... I'll give you later. Maybe maybe one of those will be released by the time
1: you release this podcast. Okay. Well, well, we'll 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 figure it out. But, Greg, th- thank you so much. I think I called you Greg, even though I meant Craig. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. It happens. Right? Try to say
2: my last name. Let's hear some L- real butchering. L- L- lo Cicero. Well, if you're in Italy,
1: it'd be Lo Cicero, lo Cicero but it's lo, Cicero. lo Cicero. Yeah, Lo Cicero. Sorry, it's the. It's like Cicero, but just a little lower. Lo Cicero. Lo Cicero. Yeah, lo, lo Cicero. Lo Cicero. All right. Listen, I've fucked up so many names on this. Probably. I don't call myself Lo Cicero. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> I'm a Cicero. The so Cicero. Anyway, brother, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is awesome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Doc. It's a great show, man. You're a great interviewer. I'm doing my best.
1: track was entitled There Goes the Sun, and that's from Craig's new band, Dress the Dead, with their new singer, Kayla Dixon. She is quite a voice. That was actually very, very cool. I really, really enjoyed that. And it looks like they just put out another song entitled Promises and Kisses. So go check that out. I was looking, I don't see details for when their album is coming out or if there's just an EP or something, but definitely keep tabs on the band. They do have a Facebook page and, you know, huge thanks to Craig for coming on the show. I thought that episode was really, really awesome listening back to it. He's one of the guys, like I said, there's a few people we do this show, we call the X-Men's X-Men and he is one of them. So welcome to the club, Craig. Anyway... I really don't have much of an outro here guys. I'm a it's about 1:13 in the morning. I'm very tired, but that's what sometimes you got to do that. You know, sometimes you do the show and you're well rested and I'm feeling good and I got vitamins and minerals and and you know fucking protein bars and shit and I don't have none of that right now. I'm just I'm I'm failing in life. I'm barely putting words together. A little delirious. So, my apologies if I haven't been as energetic and you know just ebullient as i usually am is that a word i don't care not gonna look it up so that's what's going on i need some sleep you need to just keep doing what you're doing you know keep doing your thing i love you guys mamba is out
0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Revenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians...